Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis Today. It's great to have you here. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, if this is your first time, a special welcome uh, to all of you. And uh, we recognize that if this is your first time, I mean, maybe church is familiar to you and uh, you're just visiting churches and, and we want to make sure that you feel welcome. But we also know that for some of you, maybe this is kind of an unfamiliar thing. And walking into a building like this and singing songs on a Sunday morning maybe seems a little strange, but uh, we're glad to have you here. And uh, we, we are so grateful for our church but more important than that, we're, we're grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He's our life. He's our influence. He is everything that we are about as a church family. And if that's something that you're curious about, Genesis is a good place for that. And we just invite you to come and be a part of what we're doing here. There are a couple of ways to get to know us or, or maybe for us to get to know you, uh, too. You can fill out one of our connection cards, and uh, you can scan the QR code and do that. Or go back to the info hub after the service. Um, we've got a blue tent set up to kind of get your attention there. And somebody there that would just love to welcome you and tell you a little bit more about our church and help you in thinking about next steps. Uh, one really uh, important next step happens next Sunday. And that is after our second service, uh, we're going to have a lunch. We call it Intro to Genesis. Uh, it's a great way to get to know our church. Our staff will be there, some of our leaders. It's very informal. Uh, we provide lunch. We'll provide a place for your kids if you have those. And we'd like to just spend about four 45 minutes with you just telling some stories, helping you understand our story and what we're about, let you get to know some other people, ask some questions. So if you'd like to do something like that, let them know at the Blue Tent, or you can sign up online through the website or through the app. Again, anybody's invited to come be a part of that, uh, and that'll happen next Sunday. And there's one other thing I want to make sure you know about, and that is that next weekend, we're going to be celebrating what we call family commissioning as a part of both services. And in case you don't know what that is, maybe you're familiar with uh, child dedication. If you grew up in a church, I grew up in a church, we called it child dedication. Uh, in some more formal settings, maybe there's infant baptism service. So we don't do those. So we call it family commissioning. And what it is, is it's an opportunity for parents to stand on this stage with their kids as a way of saying, I want to raise my kid to know and to love Jesus Christ, uh, but I can't do it alone. And so we bring parents up here, and oftentimes with their, their new babies, but sometimes those kids are a little bit older, and it's just a chance for you to say before the Lord, that's my intent, that's our goal, uh, but we need help. And it's a chance for our church family to, to pray for these families together. So it's something really special that we do, and we'd like to help you know a little bit more about it. If that's something you're interested in as a parent, uh, we have a short meeting that's happening today after this service. And it'll probably take about 30 minutes, but they're going to meet back at the blue tent. That Again, that's just a good meeting place. Leah Golland, who's our Gen Kids director, will meet you there. And we've got several families already, but you're welcome to come too. Just a chance to hear a little bit more about family commissioning, ask some questions, and just kind of find out details for next weekend, okay? And you can sign up for that as well on the website if that's something you're interested in doing uh, as a parent. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles with you today, if you want to follow along uh, in your own Bible. We always have Bibles in the back of the room if you want to grab one back there, and you can keep it. Uh, it's our gift to you. But Ephesians chapter 1, let me, let me pray uh, as uh, you're turning there this morning. Father in heaven, thanks again for this time today. Uh, thank you for what you've done for us. Uh, thank you for the life and the hope that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, and for your word, Lord, that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And uh, Father, we do invite you into this place today because we are nothing without you. And uh, there is nothing of value really that can take place uh, here today and in our hearts uh, if you're not doing that work. And so uh, we ask you, Lord, we invite you to have your way in our minds and in our hearts. 
I pray that you would guide every word that I share today, uh, that as we read your word, Lord, it would take life in us and just continue to encourage us uh, for how to live and how to trust Jesus more and more with our lives. Uh, thank you. Thanks for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I went to uh, Enterprise, you know, Enterprise Car Rental, uh, a couple of weeks ago to, to pick up a vehicle, and uh, the guy said, hey, I got one of two options for you, and he kind of walked me out the door, and he says, here's what I can do for you. I'll either put you in this four-door Nissan, which is typically how I roll, or he said, you know what, you look like a pretty responsible guy. How would you like a free upgrade today to the Chevy Camaro? Right? I mean, you know, you know what I said, right? I'm like, are you? Well, absolutely, of course. You know, I'd be more than happy to drive the Chevy Camaro to Chicago, and so. That's what I did. Jerry Neville and I, our, our Carmel campus pastor, we were off in the Camaro. I was at a gas station. It was funny as I was uh, uh, in uh, giving money to the attendant. I bought something. He looked out the window. He goes, is that your Camaro out there? And I said, well, you know, I'm not that good. He said, it's a rental or whatever. He's like, is that an RS or an SS? I have no idea. I, I really have no idea what's going on with this car. But uh, anyway, so I know I let him down, but not only let him down, I also let Jerry down because we were at this conference and it kind of came up that we were driving this Camaro and somebody said, well, how fast did Moomaw drive it? And Jerry was like, oh, he got it up to a whole 78 at one point on I-65. But hey, I'm a firstborn, all right? I'm a rule follower, all right? So that's about as much as I could do. But anyway, Jerry and I were off to Chicago uh, for this conference called Exponential. It's a pastor conference, church conference, uh, has everything to do with kind of multiplying leaders, multiplying disciples, what it means to multiply churches. It was a great event and a really good conference for us. But I want to just say this. I want you to know how thankful I am for all of you and how grateful I am for this church uh, and, again, for each of you and what you contribute to it. Uh, you know this. The, these past couple of years have been interesting. They've been hard. They've been difficult. Uh, it has, probably no surprise, taken a big toll on a lot of pastors, and it's been really hard on a lot of churches. And I just want to say thank you. Thanks for your support uh, and for your faithfulness. We've certainly had some challenges of our own. We've had people leave our church for different reasons, uh, but many of you have stayed, and you've been really faithful. You've been faithful in your giving. You've been faithful in your prayers. You've been thankful in your serving. Um, I know many of you are new here and are coming, and you're saying, you know what, I want to be a part of what Genesis is doing. I want to be a part of the mission of helping people find their way back to God. Thank you. I love you. I'm grateful for you, and it is a pleasure serving alongside of you. Um, but we were at this conference. Again, we were there for a few days, and because it was a conference with a lot of people that didn't know one another, uh, they asked us to wear one of these. And uh, you've put one of these on before, maybe put one on in your small group. You've been to a conference. You've worn something like this or to an event. But when they gave it to us, they told us to do two things with it. Number one, to put your name on there. That's obvious. But also then to write the name of your church and its location. And I guess that's pretty appropriate because it's probably no surprise to you. But when you go to a church conference, you go to a church conference with a bunch of pastors, you talk about those kinds of things. There's just lots of small talk around around where's your church, how big is your church, what kind of building do you meet in? Like those are just kind of the typical conversations that you have. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to play a game with me this morning as we get started. Uh, I want you to imagine that you're off to a conference of your own tomorrow, okay? Whatever conference it may be, whatever you do, however you like to spend your time. But you get there, you find a table, uh, and there are name tags like this on there. And the host of the event, they instruct you to take one, and they ask you to do this. They ask you not only to write your name, but to write a word or two that describes who you are. 
all right, to just choose a word or two that describes who you are. Like, what would you write? Like, for many of us, it's just pretty natural that we'd go straight to our profession. And so you'd think about your job or your career or what you spend your time doing each day. And so you might write the word nurse on there. You write the word teacher or administrator or maybe you're an accountant. Uh, maybe you're in something like sales. Maybe you're in retail. Maybe, maybe you're a student. And so you'd write a word like that on, on your name tag. Or maybe you'd choose something different, uh, something a little more relational uh, to describe yourself. And so you just simply write dad, or uh, you'd write mom on there, or husband, or, I'm, or, or maybe you'd write I'm so-and-so's daughter, like that, that's, uh, or, or I'm so-and-so's mom. You know, that, that's how people know who you are. Maybe you'd pick a hobby or an interest, and you'd say, I'm a runner. Or I, you know, I, I play in the band, I play in the orchestra, or you write the word CrossFit, or you know, I write a Harley, uh, or a vegan, or hunter, whatever it may be. Maybe, the, maybe there's a word like that that describes you. Of course, you might choose to go political, and so maybe you'd write Republican, or you'd rep- write down Democrat, or progressive, or conservative, or, or maybe, maybe you'd identify with something really important from your past, like something that's really meaningful to you. And so you'd write something like veteran, you know, because you served our, our country, or you'd write cancer survivor, Maybe you're in recovery, and so you'd write recovering, you know, alcoholic, you know. You're, you're excited. You're proud of the fact that you've made these steps in your life. Chances are you'd write a word, we'd write a word or two that would say something about who we are, again, something what's most important to us. You, you'd pick, again, at least what you would think to be the most important thing about you. Today, I want to talk to you about your identity, Because your identity is the most important thing about you. It says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about what you value. It says a lot about um, how you think about things and and how how you see yourself and how that influences the way you act uh, and live in this world. You know, identity says a lot about these things. And and because our identity, because the way we see ourselves influences so much about our thoughts and, and actions, it's important, especially as followers of Jesus that we get that right. And if you are new with us, again, just to kind of catch you up, we've been reading through the Bible together as a church family all year long and talking about it here on Sundays. It's a series, a year-long series that we're just calling Planted. Uh, If you're curious about what we've been doing, there's a reading plan on our church website that'll just show you what we've been reading, again, all year since January. If you'd like to finish out with us, you certainly can. We are in Ephesians, uh, but we got a little more than a month to go. Um, I think Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is what showed up on our reading plans this morning, and so that's where I want to spend a little bit of time today. And uh, just to give you a brief introduction of Ephesians, this is a New Testament book, all right, Uh, the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, but not only to the church and Christians at Ephesus, but it was a letter written to various churches uh, and Christians in this part of the world. Scholars often call this type of a letter a circular letter. Again, Paul wrote with the church in Ephesus in mind, but he also had other churches in the region in mind too. And so this letter was likely passed around to different churches to read. And Paul had spent a significant amount of time in Ephesus on at least a couple of occasions. According to Acts chapter 20, uh, at one point he spent about three years there, but now Paul is in prison in Rome. And it was from there that he wrote this letter that we know as the letter of Ephesians. Now, 
Ephesians is different than some of the other letters that Paul has written in that it's not a response to a particular crisis in the church. In fact, Paul doesn't refer much at all to what's happening in the church of Ephesians at all. And so because of that, Ephesians is full of just good general instructions for how to live out the Christian life, like how to live out your faith each and every day. But before Paul talks about how to live the Christian life, he spends the first half of the letter, three chapters in fact, talking about what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and with his life and how that helps to establish our identity again as followers of Christ. And so why focus on identity? Why is Paul going to spend the first three chapters doing that? Well, he knows and realizes that your identity, again, is the most important thing about you. It's kind of like this, you know, a lot of what we talk about, we've done this here at Genesis, right or wrong, a lot of what we talk about as Christians today has a lot to do with behavior, right? Like do this, don't do that. That's sort of what distinguishes Christians. But what Paul reminds us in Ephesians is that all of our behavior, all of our actions should be rooted in who we are, like our identity. To put it specifically, if you're a Christian, You're not a Christian because of how you behave, but if Christ has changed your life, if he is transforming your life, like you will want to behave differently, really differently than even the rest of the world. For example, if you're a parent, uh, if you're a parent, we can easily fall into this trap, moms and dads, where the whole point of parenting is to keep your kids out of trouble right? Uh, if we keep them out of trouble, if we raise nice, well-behaved young men, young women, well, that, that's important. And, and we all want that. I think we all want that from, from our kids, but that can't be the primary goal because the parenting, excuse me, because then parenting becomes all about behavior modification. We're just always looking to modify their behavior instead of teaching, instead of leading, instead of influencing. Because the, the fact is this, that someday, no matter how old your kids are, someday you're gonna, your kids are going to find themselves in a position where you're not going to be around. And they're going to have to make decisions for, them, for themselves. And, and sure, rules and boundaries are, are helpful, especially at, at a younger age. But, but identity is important for our kids to understand and know too. If, again, establish rules and boundaries for your kids, but, but teach them who they are. Like, teach them about their identity in Christ and who they belong to because that's going to influence their understanding, which is going to influence their behavior. And so in Ephesians, Paul spends a lot of time, again, he's going to spend the first three of the six chapters just driving home this who we are part, and then he's going to talk about the how we should live part. And again, why? Well, because before we know what to do, we have to understand who we are and who it is that we belong to. Now, for many in Paul's audience, like being an Ephesian was a huge part of their identity. There was a lot of pride in saying that you were from Ephesus. And uh, located in modern-day Turkey, historians have described Ephesus as the first great metropolis in all of Asia. It was a, it was a port city. Um, scholars believe as large as 250,000 people. And in addition to being this important commercial center, Ephesus was a, a melting pot of, uh, of so many different cultural influences. There were temples there to the god Zeus and, and, and Apollos and, and the goddess Roma, but none of them were as magnificent as the temple to Diana, or also known as Artemis, which was one time labeled as one of the 
seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. Again, there was a lot of pride in saying that you were from the city of Ephesus, kind of like the pride of saying that you went to a certain high school. Okay, and, and I know that for some of you, like the high school that you attended, like it, it's a big part of your identity. Like you're proud of your high school. And so if, you're, if you went to Noblesville High School, like there's something special about saying, you know what, I'm a Miller. Or if you went to Hamilton Heights or, or Fishers, like you're proud of that. I grew up in central Illinois. And so I went to Chatham Glenwood High School, formerly home to the Redskins, which they don't go by that anymore. Now they're the Titans. But if you're from Chatham, Illinois, like you're, you're proud of the fact that you are a Titan. But but could you be proud of being from one of these places or from one of these schools? Like, here's some others. Like, New Berlin, Illinois is home of the pretzels, believe it or not. And small little fact there, I went to New Berlin for one year. So for one year, I was a pretzel. And so if you're from New Berlin, Illinois, again, you're a pretzel. If you're from Frankfurt, Indiana, what are you? You're a hot dog, right? Any hot dogs in the room today? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit it? No hot dogs, or at least you're not willing to put your hand up that uh, you were a hot dog. Or how, how about Avon Old Farms High School in Connecticut? They're home of the winged beavers, all right? This is Connecticut or uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. They're home of, believe it or not, the millionaires, all right? That's, that's their high school mascot. Did you know that? Yeah, you're from Pennsylvania, so I, I don't know if you knew that. But then uh, maybe uh, my favorite is from Blooming Prairie, Minnesota. They're home of the awesome blossoms, all right? Uh, who doesn't want a little awesome blossom uh, for lunch today? But again, could you be proud if you were from any of these places? Well, yes, if you grew up there, you're probably very proud of it. Well, the people of Ephesus were very proud of their city, which is fine, but a lot of their identity, Paul recognized, was tied up in being in Ephesian. And Paul knew that that would eventually become problematic for them. And so he writes this letter to the Christians there, again, to remind them of who they are. Let's look a little bit of it today in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's how Paul starts his letter to these Christians. He introduces himself first, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and then here are his recipients, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful, and note these three words, in Christ Jesus. Because if you stop right there, that phrase, in Christ Jesus, is the key phrase to the entire book of Ephesians. In fact, underline it. If you've got a Bible of your own, if you do that in your Bible. Uh, again, Paul is going to spend the rest of this letter reminding us, reminding them that if you're a Christian, this is your identity. Like, this is the most important phrase or thing about you. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, or some variation of this phrase 11 times in just the first 14 verses of the book. In fact, write this down in your notes if you haven't already. Like, as a Christian, here's what Paul's driving home. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. All right, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've trusted him with your life and with your salvation, this is the most important thing about you. Like, it's more important than where you live. It's more important than the school you attend. It's uh, more important than the, the college you graduated from, uh, what you do for a living. Uh, being in Christ, finding your identity in him is more important than your political party, uh, more important than your nationality, your skin color, or what you believe about gender. Uh, if you follow Jesus Christ, again, this is your identity. Your identity is in him. The most important thing about you is that you are in Christ. And what Paul is trying to communicate here is that this should influence everything you do, everything about yourself. He continues, verse 2. Let's read through these together. He writes, grace and peace to you 
from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then note his words as he continues here. It's like a hymn. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment." to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Those are uh, deep words that are packed full of so much meaning. Like we, we could spend an entire year just trying to unpack all of those words, all of the Paul is communicating, but what it boils down to is this is a worship song, really, that Paul writes to these people as he is reminding them what what Christ has done, what Jesus has done for us, and who that makes us, you know, and that, again, his focus is on identity, and he's going to continue for the next couple of chapters, again, driving this home as he will then eventually begins to give instructions about the do's and don'ts of being a follower of Jesus. But again, he says, this is the most important thing about you. And why all of the emphasis on identity, especially for the people here in Ephesians? Well, Paul understood that it wasn't easy living for Jesus in a very real world. I mean, in addition to uh, Ephesus being the spectacular wealthy city, it was a corrupt one too. I mean, it was full of all sorts of paganism. Uh, and, and different types of, of worship uh, of different gods. Sexual sin was rampant. Prostitution uh, was a normal way of life. In fact, some archaeologists recently uncovered what they believed to be an ancient brothel that was connected to the library by a secret tunnel. So as you can imagine, I mean, there are probably a lot of wives that were really excited their husbands were wanting to go read a lot of books. But, you know, again, when they ultimately found out what was going on, again, you could just see what the influence was like, what people were living in each and every day. And so why is it important to understand what life in Ephesus was like? Well, sometimes we tend to wonder if the Bible can really speak into our own present circumstances, into our troubles, into the reality that we live in. But, and so honestly, Ephesus was no different than our culture today. Like these people, they again, these Christians, they were a part of a church. They were trying to worship God, but they were living in a culture that was very accepting of sin and depravity and even glorified it. Here, here's why I hope this can be an encouragement to us today. Um, the gospel of Jesus can thrive even when it's difficult. I mean, we, we see that in Ephesus. I mean, this is the reality of what Paul's trying to communicate here is, hey, I know it's tough. 
Like, I know you're living in a difficult world, a different culture today, but the gospel of Jesus can thrive when God's people understand who they are and then go and live that out each and every day. In fact, in the world today, what we see is the gospel growing the fastest where it's oppressed the most. I mean, we in the U.S. no longer live in a majority Christian nation. Okay, and I think it's important to come to terms with that. But, but places where the gospel is growing the fastest, well, in many cases, the church has to meet in secret uh, under fear of death. But the example of these Christians in Ephesus and this church in Ephesus is that Christianity can flourish and grow and spread even in difficult contexts. That, that even while living in the world, like Christians can understand their identity in Christ and understanding their identity can be the key to making a difference in the lives of the people that God has put around us. And so Paul says over and over again, you are anything else in Christ. You are in him. Your identity is in Jesus before anything else and what he says to them he's saying to us too like this is what his message would be for us as well like if you've trusted Jesus before anything you are in Christ your identity is in Jesus and that is the most important thing about you and that's significant for a few reasons if you're taking notes let me give you just a few things to think about in regards to our identity and how this influences us today but the first thing is this that if you're in Christ you are different I mean, you're different. I mean, Paul talks about, he uses words like foreigners and aliens and strangers and exiles in this world. Like, how many of you have ever been to a foreign country before? Done some traveling in the past, or you've been to a foreign place? Like, no matter where you've been, at some point you kind of feel like you stand out. You know, you feel a little bit different. And it could be because of the clothes that you wear. It could be because of the color of your skin or the things that you carry around or certainly the language that you speak. Our world is changing for sure, but our country is changing too. As I mentioned a moment ago, like Christians no longer make up the majority in America. I've seen statistics suggesting that as little as 10% of the U.S. population today is following Jesus Christ and really believes that Christ is our atoning Savior, you know, that he did the work, you know, that provides forgiveness of sins, and so 10% at best. But whatever the number is, like America is more post-Christian than ever before, which means that while the evidence of Christianity is still around us and the values are present, and maybe more so in places like Indiana, certainly in the Midwest, but the majority of people living today, you know, no longer consider Christianity to be an authority or consider Christianity to be a primary influencer anymore. And that shouldn't surprise you. Like, I, I, I hope that wouldn't surprise anyone. Like, you see that. We see that in politics today. We see that in the news. I mean, you know that, you know, every decision that our schools make today is not going to be satisfying or not going to reflect, you know, what you believe and what you value. We, we have these kinds of conversations every day in person, at work, and on social media. But that doesn't change anything for us. Like, that shouldn't change anything about our identity, you know? I mean, if you're in Christ, like, we, we just have to understand that we're different. Like, we are in the minority, but, but it certainly doesn't mean we're alone either. And it's why I would say that our church family is more important today than it was even two years ago. Like, it's why, why followers of Jesus, you know, no matter the church that you attend, like, we need to seek unity with other Jesus-following sort of churches, you know, more than we ever have before. Same story for the people in Ephesus. In fact, later on, Ephesians 2, uh, Paul talks about how as Christians we are fellow citizens with God's people. 
all right, a part of God's family. He says this, I believe, like we need to remind us even more that, that, being, that, that, that more than being a, a citizen of Ephesus, like we need to remember that, you know, for these people that you're a citizen of heaven first. And, and he might say to us today, you know, to those of you that are U.S. citizens, yes, you can call yourself an American, but you're a Christian first. Like you follow Jesus first, and, and so don't forget this. And I don't think we should forget that either because... Like you and I, you can have a political opinion, for example, but you're a follower of Jesus first. Like your, your identity in Jesus should influence your, your politics. And too often we let political ideology influence our identity instead of our, our theology. But what God says about you, again, is more important than what any political leader would ever say or, or think about you. And you can see how that kind of thinking can change the way we live, or it should change the way we live. Because again, if you're a citizen of the world, uh, things like power and, and comfort and wealth often become the goal. You know, we'll just say, well, I'll just look out for myself. I'll just take care of my family. But citizens of heaven live in a totally different economy. And that's why we're called, I mean, to be the light of the world, Jesus said. Uh, he said you were to be the, the salt of the earth. You know, like Jesus, we, we came to serve and not to be served. And so if we embrace our identity in Christ above anything else, well, we're naturally going to live differently than most of the people in this country. In fact, even on the earth. And that kind of living, I believe, is going to get people's attention. Uh, it's been a few years back now, but New York Times editorialist Nicholas Kristof, who I understand is not a Christian, uh, but he wrote a column uh, a while back praising the work of Christians and the church. And, and here's an interesting observation he made in the article, and, and I'll provide some, quote here, some quotes here. But he says, evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More importantly, they are disproportionately likely to go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against things like hunger, malaria, prison rape, uh, human trafficking, or genocide. Uh, he, he says this. He says, I must say that a disproportionate share of the aid workers I've met in the wildest places over the years, long after anyone sensible has evacuated, have been Christians have been evangelicals, have been nuns or, or priests. He says, in the United States and abroad, the, the safety net of soup kitchens, food pantries, and women's shelters depends heavily on churches, heavily on religious donations and volunteers. And then he concludes by saying, some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians who are truly living out their faith. Do you hear what he says? He says, when it comes to Christians, those who are living out their faith in Jesus, they stand out as that when you're right, they're different. They're different people. The second thing that Paul points out is that when your identity is in Christ, like you trust God's word. Like God's word becomes that influencer for us. It becomes a, a playbook of sorts as, as any team would follow a playbook. He, he says this in Ephesians chapter one again, uh, verses eight and nine, he says, uh, skip over to this, the beginning of the sentence here. He says, with all wisdom and understanding, God, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now you may hear that and think, what, what, like what's God's will? Like what, what's he getting at here? How's he made it known to us? Well, we believe as Christians that God makes his will known to us through his word, through the Bible. You know, it's his revelation for us. It's his wisdom for us, his direction for all things. And that's why it's important for us as followers of Jesus to read and to study the Bible. It's why we said, hey, let's just take a whole year and read through the Bible together in, in this planted series. And so many of us have been doing that every day because 
again, if you're not reading God's word, you're missing out on so much. Like we can help provide so much here on a Sunday. We can do our best with the little bit of time that we have from the stage on, on a Sunday morning. And, and that's good and that's helpful. And I think it's, it's good for all of us. But, but I promise you, like you can't get enough in here to prepare you for what's going on out there to equip you. And so again, we can do our best here. And this is a big part of what it means to, to call yourself a follower of Christ and to be a part of a church family. But but, but, but only reading the word of God, like you spending time alone with the Lord each day, meditating on the word of God, like that's truly going to equip us and again, help us in understanding our identity in, in Jesus and, and hiding his word in our heart, you know, so that we can have a weapon to attack, to fight back with when the enemy comes against us. There, there's a third thing we see in Ephesians that when you're in Christ, uh, you put your hope in heaven. When your identity is in Jesus Christ, like you live with a, a different destination, uh, a different goal in mind, because our hope is not in this president and certainly not in the next one. Um, our hope is not in Congress or D.C. or the Capitol or your preferred news outlet. Like as Christians, we put our hope in Jesus Christ. Our, our hope is established in him and all of us have the tendency to put our hope in so many different things. Like we can quickly put our hope in a career. We can put our hope in a, uh, an investment. We can put our hopes in achievements or relationships, a spouse, or you put your hope in your kid going pro one day. You know, like there, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure, you know, to put on anyone. But when we, again, when we put our hope in anything other than the promises of God, like it's eventually going to let us down. We're going to walk away disappointed. I mean, the, the dearest, most well-meaning people are going to disappoint us in this world. The, the greatest job that you would ever hope for will disappoint you. But again, when your quarterback in the league is going to let you down eventually, you know, but again, when your hope is in heaven, when your hope is in the power of Jesus Christ, like that's a hope that will never let you down. Paul, Paul says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And that's the hope we wait for. Like, that's the hope that we have. Like, it's knowing that even though for now we're living in this imperfect fallen world, this broken world, that there's another world waiting for us. That, that when our work on earth, when your time on earth is done, like those of us who are in Christ are going to inherit a new world, a new place to live. Uh, as the scriptures talk about, a place where there'll be no more crying, uh, there'll be no more pain, no more disappointment. You know, it's a, it's a place, an eternal destination, like cancer won't be there. COVID's not going to be there. there. There'll be no more human trafficking. There'll be no taxes in heaven no transmission failures. There won't be counting any calories in heaven either. And like, we're going to live with Jesus. Like if your hope is in Jesus Christ, like when your time on this earth ends, like we will live with Jesus and he will be with us and he will satisfy and be everything that we have ever needed. And he'll fulfill every desire, every hunger that we've had. Uh, if your hope is in this earth, like that's not going to last. Uh, because I don't know if you know this, but if you go to Ephesus today, like, it's not there. Like, Ephesus went away. It's just ruins today. There was once a great city there, again, steeped in so much culture and activity and wealth and architectural gems, but it's a bunch of ruins now. But when your hope is in Jesus, when you find your identity in him, 
And keep your eyes on Jesus as the destination, as heaven as, as the destination. Like, like that's a hope that lasts forever. That's a hope that will get us through anything. Paul wants the Christians at Ephesus to know that. It's still true and active and alive for us today. The last thing we'll talk about is this. If you're in Christ, if you find your identity in him, it's a reminder that you belong to him. Listen to how rich this language is from the first part of this letter, again, from verse 4. If you're looking at your Bible, just kind of scan along with me there. Look at some of the words he chooses. You've probably already picked some of them out. But verse 4, he chose us. All right, God chose us. He chose you. Like, think of what it means to be chosen. Man, go back to your elementary school days. It's kickball time. They're choosing teams. That was either a satisfying or a terrifying moment, you know, for every kid that has ever lived. But Jesus chose you. Like, think about what does it mean that the God of the universe chose you? He continues on. In love, he adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Again, this is just good theology, that because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, like when you put your faith and your trust in him, you are adopted by God, sealed forever. You belong to him as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. You belong to him. And that means all of his riches, all of his blessings and promises belong to you. Uh, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see the pattern? He chose you. He adopts us in Jesus Christ. When you trust him, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, forgiven of all your sin in the past, the sin of the present, the sin of the future, all of our shame, he washes away. And we have great value. You have great value because you belong to him. Did you hear the story about the volleyball that sold at an auction this past week for $300,000. Who in the world buys a volleyball that costs $300,000? Like, who has that kind of money? It makes no sense until you realize it's this volleyball, right? And if you've seen the movie Castaway before, all right, you recognize this volleyball, and certainly as Wilson, we all have an affection towards Wilson having seen a movie like that, but this was Tom Hanks' best friend, all right, in the movie Castaway. No one pays $300,000 for a volleyball until you realize who the volleyball belonged to, all right, and then it has great value. Friends, you have no idea how much you mean to God, how much he loves you, what he thinks of you, the value that you have in his eyes. Paul continues in verse 13, he says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked within him with a seal, the promised spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is reminding us that if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him with your life, you are due an inheritance. That if you're in Christ, there's an inheritance coming your way. We will inherit heaven. Those who belong to him are God's special possession and will one day inherit his glorious uh, promise and eternity. But until then, he has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to guide us, to lead us, and to remind us of who we are. Friends, 
if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him with your life and salvation, your identity is not in what you do. It's not in where you live. Your identity is not in a political ideology or anything else. If you have trusted Christ, Jesus is your identity. You belong to him. And that is the most important thing about you. Will you bow your heads with me? And as we pray, as I, I pray for you today, I want to get you thinking about a couple of things, maybe in two different kind of categories of sorts here. But for those of you that are in Christ, you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life. You, he is your Lord and Savior. You've, you've experienced his forgiveness. My prayer for you today is I hope that this is just a great reminder to you. And, and maybe you take some time with Ephesians on your own this week but a reminder of not what you need to do and not a reminder of where you've fallen short, but just this promise, just this reminder that God loves you, that he chose you, that he adopted you, and he has claimed you as his own, and you belong to him. What the Apostle Paul wants us to see is when that gets a hold of your life and when that takes root, that has the potential to change everything about everything for us. Your identity is in him. What a promise. What a gift. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I want to just pray for you, but ask, like, what, what, are you, what are you finding your identity in right now? What's the most important thing about you? And is it worth it? God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He's not going to force his love on you, but he does offer it as his free gift to you. It's available to you today. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for these awesome reminders this morning of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And, and he didn't just do that on his own, Lord, but that you sent your son. Like this is a reflection of you and who you are and of your love. And we thank you that you loved us enough to give your son who gave his life so that we could have life, that we could be redeemed, and so that we can live faithfully and courageously for you here in this world. And Father, I pray for those in the room right now who have never trusted Christ as Savior. Father, that you would continue your work in their life and in their hearts, that maybe today would be the day they surrender their life to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful gift, for these wonderful promises. Everything that we have is from you. We belong to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.